You're listening to In The Company, a podcast about humanising work and designing better working lives. Each episode is curated to provoke you to think more deeply about the things that matter in your career and life and to build your toolkit for how to thrive as a human in business today. We explore how we work from the inside out. I'm Kylie Lewis and it's great to be in your company. Welcome. Today we're in the company of Daniel Bolton, social entrepreneur and co-founder of Free to Feed and Now to Launch. Free to Feed is a cooking school and catering company employing refugees, asylum seekers and new migrants. And Now to Launch is an incubator for food-related business ideas. Together with wife Loretta, both ventures aim to nurture the entrepreneurialism of refugees and new migrants who face significant challenges in gaining employment and starting businesses despite possessing incredibly enterprising attitudes and skills. Daniel and Loretta have come to understand that the recipe for business success starts with overcoming the isolation that often accompanies starting something new. Over the past few years, they've built a community that has an appetite for connection, reciprocity, social justice, and using capitalism for good. All the ingredients for prosperous businesses and societies. So welcome, Daniel. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to our discussion today to talk about all things free to feed and now to launch. But before we do launch into all of that, I was really wanting to just get a little bit of a background as to who you were as a young person and how that might have contributed or influenced what you do today. Well, you know, it's it's hard to, um, I guess it's hard to be objective about your childhood. I find it sort of hard to judge it in a way but something I've been thinking a lot about is the culture of the family that I was brought up in and when I say culture I don't mean ethnicity I mean I've been reflecting on how influenced I was in the fact that my parents were newly arrived refugees from Uzbekistan they came over in 1977 just before I was born and um, the elements of my upbringing that really influenced me were kind of the openness, I guess in general, they had a really positive experience of migration. And obviously that influences my work today. And it's not always the case that, you know, experiences of migration are positive, but they brought with them this sense of a fresh start, um, this kind of we can be anyone mentality. And it, it was also reflected in how they perceived Australian society, you know, there are many faults to Australian society, but what they saw were all the opportunities that were available that, you know, this kind of failed communist experiment that they came from didn't afford them. So it was, you know, it was very positive, creative. And I think, I think that has influenced me today. Perhaps it gave me a sense of, you know, I'm thinking of a downside to it because it was quite positive, but perhaps sometimes I'm overly idealistic and a bit maybe even naive, because I still do carry that sense, despite all the problems that I see, that, you know, amazing things are possible. I think we need more people who have that attitude to, to actually, because in my experience, it's people who, who do have that optimism and the idea that things can change are the ones who do change things. So mm. don't lose that. I think that's something <laughs> absolutely to hold on to. Well, as I said, it was, in retrospect, it was ingrained in me from from my upbringing. So I really, I credit my parents for instilling that kind of those traits in me. Was food a big part of your family growing up? 
Absolutely not. My mum was, you know, a liberated woman, quote unquote. She um, was very, she's an artist, but she also started her own design company. And food was always just the kind of fuel that you need in order to get on with your projects and get on with life. So the focus on food in my current, where I'm at in my career is, um, is very novel and new. Um, and I'm learning a lot about it. When my grandma arrived about 10 years after my parents, you know, she was the main cook in the house. Um, she lived with us and, um, you know, we always eating kind of Russian, Uzbeki fused with Australian food. So it was definitely there, but it wasn't a, a focus. Mm. Yeah. So one of the things I do also ask all our guests on in the company is to tell me three things that you believe in and why. Well, I think fairness is one that comes to mind because I, the idea that we live where there's a level playing field out there is a bit of an illusion, but I like to think that we should work towards as far as possible equal opportunity to people for people to follow their, their dreams. So I think um, the old Aussie fair go comes to mind. I also think being honest is something that I believe in. I think life's really complicated as it is. So, you know, without adding that layer of deception, it just simplifies things. And for me, you know, staying curious would probably be a third thing. It, it really drives my everyday life, the idea of staying curious and open-minded. And I, it's like a barometer of my mental health. If I am reading a book that I think should be interesting and I'm just distracted or, you know, not into it or from watching a movie and finding I want to check my phone, it probably means I'm not doing so well. So that curiosity is like a barometer for how I'm doing. Oh, I love that. I've never heard curiosity framed like that. And as soon as you said it, the kind of the hairs on the back of my neck went up because I was like, of course, <laughs> you know, because one of the things that you do when you're actually not feeling great is that you do lose curiosity in the world. You know, you, you do want to kind of withdraw and, and you're not necessarily stimulated in the way that you know that you could be. And um, so that's a fan. I love that. That's a fantastic um, idea to keep in the back of our mind. Yeah. Now, knowing you as a business owner, I can absolutely see how those three beliefs have played out in the creation of the two startups now that you and your wife, Loretta, have created. So I was wondering if you could give me a little bit of background as to how Free to Feed maybe first came about and then how that led to now to launch. Well, probably the very the beginnings of Free to Feed were born out of probably a sense of exasperation coupled with an intuition. So if I explain that, you know, we felt an exasperation about the challenges that were being faced by people seeking asylum and refugees that are coming to Australia. And I think we weren't, I know that we weren't alone in that. Uh, there seemed to be a disparity between our hearts, you know, and the hearts of people in Australia and the kind of opportunities to do something in support of people that have taken that journey. And if I think back, we also, we had no idea what free to feed was, you know, going to become or the the evolution of it um, was a whole separate thing. But at the very beginning, we just felt this intuition that there, even though we didn't see many good solutions around us, that there had to be solutions to this sense of powerlessness that we felt in this space. So I think that kind of, that was a potent mix at the beginning, this sense of exasperation, but this intuition that there had to be a better way. And that was the kind of the, the very early kind of context for what Free to Feed became. And so Free to Feed, for people who may not be familiar with it, can you just give us a bit of an idea of what it is that you do now? Yeah, so Free to Feed is a, it's a not-for-profit social enterprise and basically we were looking for a way of supporting people who are seeking asylum or refuge in Australia 
to be employed and to kind of break out of isolation. Two issues that Loretta heard constantly come up in her experience as a caseworker with people seeking asylum. And it's funny, you know, you asked me about the role of food in my upbringing. And as I said, it was um, not really a factor at all. But we realized that food is um, an amazing link for people that have taken that journey to Australia back to their home countries. It's, um, it's something that's been carried with them despite all the things that um, have been lost on that journey. So Free to Feed evolved to become a, a pop-up cooking school in which um, people seeking asylum share their cuisines and their stories. It started in our local cafe with a, the owner, Lauren, just out of the goodness of her heart said, yeah, you can use our space to run this kind of cooking class um, after we shut on a Sunday um, and it evolved from there. We now run dozens of classes per week um, in people's homes, in organisations, um, in schools. And uh, what we couldn't have predicted is really the appetite for, for the experience that Free to Feed offers. And I mean appetite in many senses, you know, that as I was reflecting on earlier, there is a lot of interest in connecting in, there's a lot of curiosity in the community that is, it's like an untapped potential that we all have. And, um, you know, in, in a small way in our classes, people get to ask their own questions and listen with their own ears to the stories of people that are coming across, taste with their own mouths, you know, the beautiful food, learn with their minds about, you know, about the journeys and also about the recipes. And in the end, we're just a little bit less isolated as a whole, not just our, our staff, but the people that come along to the events. We're all just a little bit less isolated. It's not the be all and end all. It hasn't solved every issue, you know, for example, that our staff face. But we're proud that it's part of a solution, we feel. Mm, absolutely. And um, I should fully disclose that you guys actually catered for our end of year Thanksgiving dinner last November. And yeah. we had Hamad and Naran cater for us and tell us their stories during the session. And it was it was a wonderful event. We had so much feedback about the extraordinary food and the extraordinary company and the stories and the openness and vulnerability and what we learned as part of the experience. Um, yeah. Deeper empathy all around. It was amazing. Yeah. And it's, it, you know, it doesn't have to be hard or even selfless to make a difference to people that are, you know, taking that journey to Australia as you know, that was a beautiful event um, at your space. And that's what I enjoy about those events that it's sort of, um, you know, you can access it from the point of view of just having a great meal, you know, the social aspect, or you can go deeper and really understand the issues and problems. But either way, we're kind of sharing that space. That's the important part. Fantastic. And then you went on to launch Now to Launch. How did yeah. that come about? Well, two things happened over the last few years with Free to Feed. You know, one thing is we've noticed that uh, our staff, who are people seeking asylum refugees, have capacity and aspirations and interests outside of running these cooking classes. So they're doing a phenomenal job. And on the other hand, they're, they're, you know, they're bursting at the brim with their own ideas for their own enterprises and businesses. But, you know, as a startup organization, we had no capacity to support them in, in those endeavors. But it was, we sort of noted, ah, there's an enormous capacity for them to do more. And then the second part of the equation was all the incredible guests and other organizations that have been in the free-to-feed community that have inspired us we've noticed that they have more to, to give and more to offer than simply coming along to a class. You know, we found many people 
are activated and inspired. But then, again, we as an organization completely run off our feet just trying to run happy, healthy classes. We couldn't really offer further opportunities for people within the free-to-feed community to, to support more and to connect more. So now to launch brings those two aspects together. We're fortunate to have received a grant from LaunchVic through the state government, which basically have enabled us to create ways of allowing people to be part of the entrepreneurial journeys of, of refugees and new migrants. So it's an exciting kind of addition or extension to, um, to Free to Feed, but only made possible by, as I said, by the capacities of our staff and by people around us wanting to do so much more. Mm, fantastic. So when you started um, Free to Feed, was that a completely self-funded enterprise as well? Because you mentioned before that Now to Launch was made possible through a grant, through LaunchVic. Yeah. How did you get Free to Feed up off the ground? Completely self-funded. We, you know, Loretta and I just had a space in our lives um, in which we, as a kind of exp- life experiment, we wanted to try and do something in, in this space. And we, we both had, let's say, mixed experiences of working within organizations. So we were very curious about what would happen if we tried to go out alone, so to speak, and do something just as two people. We were very conscious of the risks and downsides of this, particularly in a, the refugee and asylum seeker space because, you know, it seems like such an overwhelming, intractable, complex set of problems. You know, it, it wasn't obvious that we were going to be, um, have any success going out alone. However, the, we had experienced some of the downsides of working in organizations, the, the bureaucracy and being subject to certain personalities perhaps in, in managers and so the constraints there. So because of those factors, we, we just decided to give it a go. And yeah, we were completely self-funded. In the past few years, I've read more about lean startups and social enterprise. I didn't know anything about it when we went on, a, on that journey, um, but we you know, we literally, we didn't have our own kitchen until maybe a year in. So we're operating out of our lounge room. We used some of our own savings. We just started small, but it was definitely a, um, definitely self-funded. Fantastic. And so you've been around now for a few years, you're on your second startup. So as a small business owner yourself, what are some of the most valuable business lessons that you've learned along the way? I think, um, one of the really valuable things for us, which just happened was, um, the idea of putting yourself in your customer's shoes. Now, we, we certainly didn't think about, this is me reflecting in retrospect. Um, we badly needed a solution to the problem that we saw. We were our, the customers for our own venture. You know, we deeply wanted the kind of experience, we kind of craved the kind of experience that we were trying to create. And, you know, this guided all sorts of decisions that we, that we were making all the time because, you know, it wasn't abstract. You know, we really felt the need for what we were trying to create. I mean, fortunate for us, we, you know, we went alone. It turns out many other people felt that same need. But I think the fact that our, our measuring stick, our guide for our decisions was, was very important. And for example, like it made us put a, a big emphasis on authenticity, you know, that our instructors were actually well looked after and it was, you know, they were actually free and comfortable to share their own stories and their recipes. And, you know, it wasn't because we did market research and found out that, you know, 40% of people think authenticity is important in a service. We just felt that it was really needed. So putting in retrospect, I guess you could say putting ourselves in our customers' shoes 
was what we were doing, but we, we didn't really think of it at the time. We were just trying to create something that we felt was needed. Another thing is quality. I think we, a big lesson that we learned is the importance of quality. Um, and, you know, that's probably a really obvious thing that you have to offer a quality service. But in our case, because we started with the cause, like we started with wanting to help people, there was actually some really tough decisions. Like we had to choose who we felt we could help based on, for example, the, the likelihood that they were going to deliver a quality service, that their you know, English was up to scratch, that they were actually good enough cooks to deliver a class. And I think in retrospect, it's served the, purpo- the wider purpose really well that we did focus on quality because instead of perhaps spreading ourselves too thinly, we ended up working with a smaller group in depth. And the fact that we were able to deliver a quality service from the very beginning, all like credit to their, our staff skills and experience, I think that led to a really solid base for our development. Now, there's always tricky spots in startups. There are difficult situations and difficult calls that you need to make. And you sort of alluded to one there about, you know, the strategic decision to help a smaller number of people. But what other difficult situations have you felt? One problem we've had from the beginning, which I guess is a nice problem to have, is keeping up with demand and the kind of the flow on problems of that. You know, we've been fortunate to be under more demand than we can kind of respond to from the very beginning. And it's led to challenges of how do we actually, um, you know, expand sustainably? How do we manage change? You know, how to, in terms of staffing, in terms of office and kitchen space. Um, so I think, yeah, managing fast-paced change when you're sort of quite new to something has been a big challenge. Uh, and the other one I would just point to is, you know, we've been in some interesting cross-cultural situations and discussions with staff you know as you can imagine we have an amazingly diverse group of staff and you know it's not all kind of sweet and roses you know there's some challenges there with communicating and um, setting expectations and I have to say they've all been great learning experiences and because we see our role as being an inclusive organization those those conversations and situations no matter how challenging they are are always positive because they're going to help us be a better organization at kind of dealing with those, those kind of situations. So we, don't, we, yeah, we wouldn't want them to be um, swept under the carpet. And you would have had some fantastic opportunities to have some really good wins along the way as well. What have been some of the most rewarding moments that you've had? You know, not to be corny, but honestly, I get so much pride and joy at every free-to-feed class. Um, and I'll tell you why. It's actually because each of them is, is a unique interaction between a group of people that have come along, the instructor, some lovely volunteers. It's just a, it's, I'm fascinated by people. So it's a, it's a beautiful human drama that gets played out. And um, whenever I've been fortunate, you know, obviously early on I was going to every single class and now it's more rare, but it's always such a, um, it's always fascinating what happens. This episode of In The Company is brought to you by Victoria's Small Business Festival happening throughout Victoria during August 2018. The festival offers a wide range of practical, interactive and innovative events that cover topics such as business planning, marketing, social media, networking and financial management. All events are either low cost or free and are designed to help small business owners improve their productivity and business now while engaging with other like-minded businesses and industry experts. For more information, visit festival.business.vic.gov.au.
Now, you and Loretta are both almost about to become parents for the second time. So how have you juggled a growing family and two growing startups all at once? (laughs) Very imperfectly, I would say. I mean, I certainly wouldn't offer any generic advice here. I think it's, um, I think kids and marriage are each like super complex kind of projects in and of themselves. Um, So when I think about my son, Cohen, I I really think that I work sort of despite and for him, you know, despite because it does take me away from spending more time with him. But I often think about him when I'm, when I am working because I want to, I do want to be the best role model for him or for his future self when he learns more about what we're trying to do. And I want him to believe as my parents kind of led me to believe that things are possible, you know. Um, So try and explain that to a (laughs) three-year-old. today and why you're not you know into the lego as opposed to at work it doesn't it doesn't quite work yeah so loretta and i are married and work together and because we've been led from the beginning by like intuition and collaboration i think you know our relationship has been a great space from which to make decisions um on the other hand it you know i will lie to you if i said that it didn't cause strain and and challenges because you know we've we've felt our own pressure. You know, it's funny, you create something and then you feel pressure as a result of it. So it's the trying to keep work talk out of kind of family or other talk is, um, is, is difficult. Do you have any tips around that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, I mean, one thing I've, I've got more of a problem because I, I've actually find it hard to separate myself from my work. Like I very much infuse my and this is, again, I'm not advocating for this, but I do um, infuse myself in my work. And by corollary, my work is infused in me outside of the nine to five, in inverted commas, although it's never been nine to five. Um, so one thing I was going to say is, you know, if your work is interesting and stimulating and, and um, arises from your values, then it's not always a bad thing if it's, you know, infiltrates your home conversations. But that can go too far. And um, Look, I'm still working it out. (laughs) I think we all are. So that's, (laughs) we're in good company as far as that goes. (laughs) I would like to just switch a little bit now to the people that you do work with. So the asylum seekers and refugees that you do work with. Could you tell us about um, them and who they are and where they've come from? Yes, we're fortunate to work with people from all over the world. And, you know, seeing as we work with people seeking asylum and refuge, it's all the hotspots or places where people are seeking refuge from. So we have amazing people from Iran, from Syria, from Iraq, uh, Sri Lanka, and many other countries. So a very, very international group of staff. And for people who may not understand what it's like, what are some of the issues that people from diverse backgrounds have when they're looking to re-establish themselves and, and start a new life in Australia? You know, there's all sorts of issues and some of them are more individual to each person but I think an underlying challenge is isolation it's something that kind of rears its head in different ways but I I see it as a consistent underlying challenge to our staff so whether it's practical things like not knowing where different services and things that they need are but often it's a very emotional thing you know being disconnected from one's home country and not really being allowed or able to go back often here certainly without extended family and sometimes with no family at all can be isolation can be you know a really big challenge for just to be happy let alone to be productive 
And so are there many other issues that are also faced? I mean, there's obviously potentially a language barrier that they might also face. There might also be some trauma that exists from how they've actually had to leave their countries and find their way here. Does that show up in your work with them as well? Definitely, yeah. And if you add to that, you know, what you might call status anxiety or status challenge, you know, um, for some of our staff, they're on temporary visas. It's very difficult to sink your roots in in any way when you're having to regularly check in to see if you're allowed to stay in the country. So I think that plays a, um, a destabilizing uh, role as well. I remember seeing Hamad's Instagram post earlier this year saying that he'd finally got permanent residency, I think it was. I believe it's a protection visa as opposed to permanent, but, you know, it's a very positive step forward. I don't think it's the the permanent visa that we're all hoping for all of our staff, but it's, it's a good next step. It's a good next step. And so he is one of the people that works at Free to Feed, running the cooking classes, but he's also someone who's also started his own food business as well. Is that through the Now to Launch program? So, yeah, he's, he's an example. You know, he's an inspiration to, again, why we started Now to Launch because he, I would definitely not credit his achievements in his own business endeavours to Now to Launch. Now to Launch is a new program that will support what he's, for example, in his case, what he's already doing. But yeah, he's used his entrepreneurialism and his amazing talents to to start his own catering business. And, you know, he also is looking to start another business and um, hopefully now the launch will play a part in that. But, you know, just the kind of the flourishing of his ideas and, you know, his entrepreneurialism is certainly an inspiration to why we want to create something like Now to Launch to support him. Yeah. So the isolation that you spoke about as being one of the major issues for people coming who's seeking asylum and and refugee status, what are some of the things that you do to actually help overcome that? Or how do you get, how do you reach people who need that the most? Now to launch, which is the food business incubator for refugees and new migrants coming out of free to feed is going to be basically what we are doing is, is trying to design the kind of ecosystem that people who are fortunate enough to be permanent residents need when they're starting a business or a new enterprise. You know, when I think about what totally kept Loretta and I away from the brink of, of failing, of, you know, of finding it too hard, um, whether an emotional or practical level, is the networks and the people around us. I'm talking very specifically, you know, the friend of a friend who's a professional photographer or the lawyer friend who actually got her um, firm involved in incorporating us into a not-for-profit. All these other amazing people that actually made it possible for our little idea to become reality. What we're going to do with Now to Launch is try to replicate that kind of ecosystem around new entrepreneurs. So in practice, there are different ways that people can get involved, whether by designing and delivering a tutorial. So we're going to be calling out for people with particular knowledge and skills. And it could be all sorts of things, you know, like the things I've already mentioned relating to starting a business. And we've got a process in place where anyone who believes they have a shareable bit of knowledge or skill can actually design a tutorial and deliver it to the entrepreneurs. And what we will do is um, we'll find the right entrepreneur at the right time who needs that particular skill or knowledge. So we'll make those kind of connections. Um, in some ways, it, it mirrors what we've been trying to do at Free to Feed, where each class is, in a, apart from like the eating of food and breaking of bread, is an opportunity for people to connect 
through, for example, the tutorial program, it'll be an opportunity for people in the community to connect with entrepreneurs. We also realize that entrepreneurs need services and products sometimes, and we're going to be calling out to businesses who are interested, you know, not necessarily to go and teach something because when you're starting out, it's, uh, it's actually really important. Well, what Loretta and I found is that we couldn't learn how to do everything ourselves. We didn't have to become the professional photographer in order to have that photographer capture like, you know, our first events and, you know, help us share that. Um, so we think that's really important as well. So we want to provide an opportunity for local businesses, even individuals who have, who want to deliver a service or share a product with our entrepreneurs. Again, the matching will be important. We'll find the right entrepreneur at the right time who needs that particular service or product to give them that, that leg up, that next boost. So really now to launch is, it, is about creating that ecosystem and is we're trying to blow that isolation away. That's the idea. Fantastic. And I love that insight also that you don't have to be the experts at everything. And that's actually a good way to break down any isolation that you might have because, you know, it's often you thinking you have to do it all yourself that keeps you isolated from reaching out and making connections and getting help to actually, you know, move yourself forward. Yeah. But you can imagine without those links, it would heighten your sense of needing to do everything yourself, which could be absolutely cripplingly um, overwhelming. Um, mm. Whereas just having those links makes you realize the kind of the people around you and the things that are possible with their help that you just wouldn't know. You wouldn't know that someone could quickly design a simple website for you if you didn't have those links. And then you would probably spend weeks or months trying to learn that yourself instead of working on all the other parts of your business that, that badly need you. So. Yeah. Mm. It's one of the questions that I ask a lot in my coaching practice with my um, small business clients um, because there is sometimes a temptation to try and do it all themselves and it's not yeah. actually the best way for them to progress. You know, it's questioning about more, making them think more deeply about, well, who do I know that I could actually call on or ask or outsource? You know, once, yeah. you, give, once you give yourself permission to think, I don't have to be the expert and do all of this myself. Yeah. Um, mm. But that's the key, isn't it? That question, who do I know? That we. Yeah. We want to provide answers to that. We want to have people on the other side of that question so that, just like you're saying, so that someone isn't expecting or needing to do everything themselves. Fantastic. It's almost like, to me, it sounds like a smorgasbord of contacts, um, bringing all that together to, as you said, cut through the isolation and actually give people the best possible chance they can to stand on their own two feet. Yeah. And look, it's going to be a lot of fun. You know, we're just at the, you know, we've been, we feel like kind of mad scientists in a way where designing this ecosystem and because there isn't one proven track for an entrepreneur to take their idea from now to launch, you know, it's going to be a very dynamic and interesting community where people are tapping in and helping different people at different times. Um, so it's going to be interesting. We'll see what happens. Fantastic. And I love that. And that's the true spirit of entrepreneurship. It's like we're not quite sure how it's all going to come together, but this is the vision <laughs> and we're just pushing in that direction and we'll work it out as we get along. Um, so just on that, if people are interested in becoming involved or offering any services or insights, where can they go to find out more information? The main thing to do would just be to go to the Now to Launch website, which is nowtolaunch.org.au. And... Um, you can get a bit more information. There's a, there's a simple form to start your kind of journey with us because as we've been reflecting on, it's, there are 
different ways of getting involved with different people. We're just, there's a simple initial form to start off. And then each of our entrepreneurs has a coach that works with them and identifies their needs. And as that gets fed into us, we will look at the kind of, if you like, the smorgasbord, as you said, of, of people that uh, have put their hand up with, with something to offer and we'll make those connections. So that's the, the way to start is to, is to go to the website and, and register. Yep, fantastic. I'm sure that there are people who are listening um, who have a whole bunch of skills and talents and desires to also want to make a contribution that could be um, potentially helpful. Um, yeah, cool. In- and I, I should also note that it's uh, one-off kind of assistances are, are welcomed and are fine. You know, what we're designing is, a, is an ecosystem where people can just design and deliver one tutorial or perhaps just come in and deliver one service to one entrepreneur. You know, our our idea is that, you know, not one of us have all the all the solutions and all the answers, but, you know, together, if you think about the, the spectrum of skills and knowledge in the community, together we actually do have all the solutions and all the answers. They're all around us. So we're going to do that coordinating work. So we're really open to, we don't want people to feel overwhelmed with, you know, the kind of the challenge for each entrepreneur to go from where they are now to launching something because that journey is made up of, a thousand steps and we're, we're grateful for anyone contributing to any one of those steps. Terrific. So we're getting on in our discussion and um, I was just wanting to start wrapping it up. I would like to know what are three things that you would like people to take away from our chat today? Well, firstly, the idea that you can make a difference. It's a bit of a cliche, but on one level, if someone has the time and space in their life to really dedicate to a cause that they believe in. I actually really am a believer in the social enterprise model now that I've, through experience, understood it a bit better. I think it's a really sustainable and sensible way of um, trying to um, trying to flesh out your contribution to a cause that you're passionate about. So you can make a difference through dropping whatever you're doing and starting a social enterprise. Or, you know, I think there are a lot of ways within your current business that you can make a difference. And, I'm, you know, I think in my world, Now to Launch is a example of where you can offer your skills and knowledge and experience, but I'm sure there's many other ways you, you can do that. But, you know, whatever your skill or knowledge is, for example, in our space, we, there are people that, that need that. And perhaps being mindful about where you source your services and supplies and catering Absolutely. from. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. There are choices out there. The second thing I would say, the thing that I'd like to tell your listeners is, is to look for the good in people. You know, because we live in a diverse society, there are all sorts of views and attitudes out there. And, of course, the media and politicians, um, you know, often reflect certain views and attitudes, not others. But what I just wanted to say was if you aim to cater for the good in people, then in doing that, whatever service or product you're putting out there, it will encourage and nurture that good. And then you'll sort of find yourself living in a better world or at least a, a bubble of a good world. So I think looking for the good in people and catering to that Sometimes in corporate speak, I hear that as um, having the generosity of positive intent, like look, you know, approaching well, the world. I'm going to write that down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, approaching the world with looking for positive intent or seeing that as a first place of a relationship with someone until proven otherwise, I guess. <laughs> yes, good until proved bad. <laughs> and uh, thirdly, I just think the idea of staying curious has um, always been important me. So I would just encourage people to be open to new and better ways of 
of doing things. Do you have a vision or an opinion on um, the difference between passion and curiosity? I think so because passion to me feels a lot more self-interested, not even in a bad way because I think it's really important to explore what, what really drives you and what you're passionate about. But curiosity often is about letting go of whatever, you know, whatever is driving you and just looking at what is actually driving others and uh, what's driving the world around you. So I think they work well together. If you can be passionate and also very curious, I think you're onto a winner. Yes. I've talked before about the difference I see between passion and curiosity and kind of the obligation that we have on passion to solve our problems, whereas curiosity gives us permission to explore and find out and not be attached necessarily to a specific outcome, but to continue to be curious to explore what the potential is and to keep iterating and changing. Yeah, I would, I concur. (laughs) (laughs) Good to know. All right. So um, we're going to wrap up with our 10 by 10 questions. This is where I have 10 questions. You have 10 seconds if you need it to answer each question. We might get through that a little bit quicker, but are you ready to go with our 10 by 10? I'm ready. All right. (laughs) Let's get going. Number one, what I like about myself is? My perseverance. I beat procrastination by? Just enjoying it when it happens. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> okay. Um, a song on my life soundtrack is? Uh, like a Rolling Stone by Bob Dylan. Mm. The world needs more? People pondering big questions like what the world needs more of. <laughs> well played. Um, a phrase I live by is? He not busy being born is busy dying, which is a Dylan quote. I see a thing. Should also include she. (laughs) They, they They. not busy being born, (laughs) are busy dying. Thank you for the correction. Um, Something everyone must do is? Go to a free-to-feed class and volunteer at now launch. I get paid to say that, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It's all okay. Um, A book that changed me is? Uh, The God of Small Things by Iron Daddy Roy. It's been about 20 years since I read that, I think. (laughs) Maybe time to pull it out for a reread. Yeah. Fear and I are intimate acquaintances. Something that always makes me feel good is jumping in the ocean. And I miss living closer to the ocean. And we're recording this in the depths of Melbourne winter. <laughs> so Dark <laughs> depths, yeah. <laughs> Windy, grey cloud depths of Melbourne winter. So I hope you can get in, into the ocean very soon. The last question is, number 10, my legacy will be? Not for me to see, but in the eyes of the beholders at some future date. Daniel, thank you so much. It's been an absolute delight to speak with you. All the best to you and Loretta when number two arrives, who is just around the corner as we kind of speak. You actually could be waiting on a phone call while we've been recording this podcast. So, <laughs> totally, I'll go check in. <laughs> so thank you for your time. Thank you so much. All the best to everyone involved in both of the programs and thank you for doing the work that you do. It's really important and I'm really excited about the next stage for, for both of you in the business. Thanks, guys. Thanks for the opportunity. That's all for this episode of In The Company. I hope you've enjoyed listening and tucked away a few gems to bring to your working life. To make sure you don't miss an episode, please subscribe to our channel. And if you've loved what you've heard today, please share it with your kinfolk who might also be in the need of some good company. 
And if you feel so inclined, we'd be super grateful for our review on iTunes. 